Welcome to Time and Again, a podcast by Jack Sotheby and Switchback, a charity helping young men make a new start after prison. Each episode tells a story of a young man's journey. This is Omar. I'd say my mum done a good job. It was mostly my mum that raised me. Um, my dad, he was in my life to an extent, but we never had the best relationship. I feel like he's just a very stubborn, harsh, I mean, he used to argue a lot. Even if he's not with the partner, he should still do his best to provide for the family. He didn't really do that in my eyes. Probably about like 16, 17 after high school, everyone used to smoke weed, so I guess it just started with that. Selling a bit of weed to my mates and stuff. So it was kind of, I was in a relationship, I was in a long-term relationship, and then we ended up breaking up, and I found out she had got with somebody that I know. Obviously, I kind of wanted to get out of the area. I just didn't want to see anyone that I knew to be talking about this stuff. Like, and my mum always says I'm easily led and I'm quite a person. I'm ADHD, so I just said, yeah, fuck it, and I just went down there. And what are you doing in Brighton? Um, selling class A's, crack, heroin. At times you do like, you do just think that, what am I doing? At that time, to be honest with you, I was smoking a lot of weed. It was a conspiracy case, so they was actually watching, like me. They also had something going on in um, in Oxford, so I think undercover police found out about the operation and somebody said, oh, I've got something else in Brighton. And then from there, they went from there and came to Brighton and a couple undercovers came down, like posing as drug users to Brighton to buy some stuff. And then came and raided the houses. They smashed the doors in. Um, yeah, I was asleep at the time, obviously woke up. Do you hear that sound? You know what it is straight away. They were like, we've got to worry about searching this property. We believe that the drugs have been sold out of here, blah, blah, blah. Because obviously my mum didn't know what was going on, so she had found out, so she was just disappointed. So I was just, obviously asking me why. She just genuinely didn't believe that, like, I would do something like that. And that's not the way she raised me. And I just felt worse, worse for disappointing her and just seeing the look on her face. And obviously it was heartbreak for her when I went away. What was jail like? It was a bit of a mad house. Yeah, that was my first, obviously my first time in jail, so... I was, I say, yeah, it was not scary. I say, I was nervous. It's just like a whole new world. Like, you just go in there. And you go first in the ring, you've got people looking at you, trying to see who you are. People can't tell where you're from. Where you're from. Yeah, the first night was, um, that was just a lot going through my head. I was just thinking, fuck, like, look what I've done, I'm here. So the cell is very small. I'd say it was like two meters by three meters, like a little rectangle beds and the toilet was literally like at the bottom of the bed and there was no like door in the toilet it was just like a little curtain bars on the window people just write loads of mad shit on the walls like 
new mattress, gave me a lot of spots on my back. Usually you get the magazine and like, the TV guy and you just go through and be like, oh, watch this now I'm like, Love Island, that was a big thing in jail. Like, obviously, people be screaming out the windows, hi, did you see Megan? Did you see da, 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 da. But yeah, no, that Love Island was a big thing. Surprised at how many drugs there were in prison. Yeah, I would say so. It's, it's shocking because, like, in, in the first jail, it was more like people using subutex and meth and lots of pills, and there was quite a lot of spice, big spice problem in that jail. In the second jail, there was just so much weed. Like, every day you just come on the land, on the wing, and it just smell like weed, like, everyone's just smoking weed. Surely the guards can smell it, though. They're not confiscating it when they smell it. Yeah, here and there. I mean, I think they have more of a problem with spice because then people are dropping and people are getting fucked up. People used to do it all the time. They used to like, like roll big drinks of spice and then give it to drug users. But one guy, they gave him um, a drink and he smoked it. And he was just sitting on the stairs like this. He was waiting for the queue. My friend said to him, Oh, straight dog, in the line, gonna go. And he was like, No, nah, man, I'm gonna wait to the end to see if there's any extras. And then he said, Oh, he literally took two steps forwards, keeled over the stairs from like third or fourth stair up, dropped, hit the deck, started shaking, boom, coming out of his mouth. Obviously, the guard cleared everyone. Like, get back, get back. Then they locked everybody up. But there was like a little flap that I could see out of from my toilet. So, and I could just see the guard trying to perform CPR in him for a long time, trying to bring him back. But unfortunately, he died. Everyone kind of just kept it quiet because you can't go and say, oh, it was him. And yeah, it was just sad, like. So about halfway through my sentence, um, my mum my wasn't picking up for a couple of days, so I didn't know what was happening. So I phoned one of my mates, and um, he said to me, said to me, oh, you're right. I'm saying, yeah, what's good? And you're right. And he goes, oh, have you heard what's happened? And I said, what do you mean, what's happened? And he's like, oh, no, I don't think I should tell you. I said, what do you mean? I don't think you should tell me that. Like, oh, I should speak to your mum. And then I said, bruv, tell me what happened. And then he's like, oh, your cousin. I said, what? And he was like, oh, yeah, your cousin got stabbed. Like, what the fuck? He was 20. Yeah, so I was just heartbroken, like, he's, he 
was my cousin, but we was very close from young. Like, it's more like my brother used to see each other like every week, every couple of weeks, have like a family Sunday. We were used to link up. He's only like about two, three years younger than me. First person that like, really close to me that I've lost. Obviously, where I was, everything just felt like a mind fuck. Like, I couldn't believe it. Like, obviously, still to this day, sometimes I struggle to believe it. Yeah, especially just being in there. I was depressed for a while, angry, getting into like rows with people. How often do you think about it? Every day. Every day. Sometimes I just still don't feel real, like. Chaplains, he came see me and they arranged a, um, a compassionate visit, that's what they called it. But it wasn't very compassionate because at the time I'd recently felt a, a drug test for weed. And then because of that, they put us behind the cloth. And my mom and my grandma came to visit me, obviously told me the news, and they had us between the glass. And that was just, that was hard. We was all just crying, just through the cloth. Just looking at each other, but yeah, and they call that a compassionate visit. Not no understanding. Um, I'm just putting my hands on the glass of my mum and my grandma. Is that like, what? What happened? How did it happen? And then they told me that. Um, it's crazy. He was stopping people, people outside his house stealing. And he told them like, to go away, to move on. And then they went. And then I think they came back. So he went and chased them. And yeah, they ended up stabbing him. That's what made me realise that it's not worth it. Anything's not worth it to do that, to do anything, to put myself in a position to go back in, to risk the possibility of obviously losing a family member or something bad happening to anyone I love, like, I couldn't have that happening. And that, that feels like a weight on my shoulders. They got to go to the funeral, they mourned differently. And I was just in jail, I think. Like, that, like, definitely cemented it, like, I can't be risking going away again. I feel like I was quite, uh, I had some anxiety and sometimes some paranoia when I first came out. I felt like people, like, I had a big mark on my head, like, he's a fucking prisoner, like, you don't go near him, stuff like that. Man. And when you're anxious or paranoid, you think people are watching, watching. You feel it genuinely in your heart and you just, like, want to get away from it. I'll just take random trips, I'll just go to random places just to get away from that. Mom didn't pick me up. She didn't know when I was coming out. And the exact day, I never told her the exact day. But my stepdad and my cousin came and picked me up. I remember just driving back on the motor and he's got a convertible. So this guy's just driving in the convertible, my hands out the window, blasting music and that, that. It was quite wicked. And then 
and got back to my mum and then he phoned my mum at work and he was like, oh, come out, come outside your work quickly, I need to talk to you. And then she came around the corner and I was like, hide around the corner and I popped out and she just like, her face just lit up, she started crying. And... Yeah, it was just relief, like, like a weight off my shoulders. I feel like she had a weight off her shoulders. I feel blessed to have like my mum and my family looking out for me. Coming up to my release, the um, switchback came into contact with me. They kind of like gave me a focus, which was good because otherwise I'd just be doing my own thing, having no like, proper direction and that. But with switchback, they'd help you go through things that like, take you on different little trips and that like, make an action plan about what you're going to do the week. So it's a good experience, like, just to show you the different side of things that like, you don't have to go back. They also done something with me, like when I first came out, they made like a a spoken word workshop. I found that quite um, stimulating to write things, two two rhymes. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, just just for myself. Though. Can you remember anything? You don't wanna. <laughs> the first year that I came out, I completed my personal training qualification, and then I got my first job as a personal trainer in Pure Gym. I feel better training four or five times a week, working at the gym, having structure. I would say that money is not everything. The more money you make, the more time you're gonna get when you get caught eventually, which more than likely you will. They're just going to give you more time. And if they know you've been doing crime, they're going to take away all your assets. And it's just not worth it. It's back to square one. Like, I've seen people in like their 50s of like 15 years. And you've just got nothing but time. You've just got to start from square one. So I would say, while you're young, while you can, like, this is England. There's a lot of opportunities out there. Whatever it is, like try your hand at anything. Like, I've done so many things in my life, so many different jobs. that like, like, There's so much more out there. That's it, mate. If there's anything you want to add, anything you want to say? No, I think you're happy with that. Oh, Thanks for listening to Time and Again, a podcast brought to you by Switchback and Jack Sudderby. We hope these stories shed a fresh light on the experiences of young men leaving prison in Britain today. 50,000 people get released from prison in the UK each year, yet around half of them are back inside within a year. That's a lot of lives and money gone to waste because people don't get the support they need. This podcast was interviewed, sound designed and co-produced by Jack Sudderby, founder of Beautiful Strangers, the production company. Co-produced by Switchback. Narration was by me, Weller. Thanks for listening. Bye.